0: Welcome to rising, pretty solid show today, right, Robbie? Absolutely. No, Kim, I but she'll be here later. That's right. Well, you'll we'll we can still kind have of stretch Kim out. Were,
1: here. Yeah, we got more room. We don't have to fight. Kim and I were fighting over who would sit in what seat, where and, the uh, coffee
0: could go. Yeah,
1: all sorts of things. But it was great having her in studio, and we'll be happy to talk with her in just a little bit. But first, we're going to discuss the probe into Hunter Biden's foreign business dealings and new confirmation about the laptop from the New York Times. One, we'll talk about that with Rebecca Azor and Rena Shaw. Plus, Bacha Ungar-Sargon will weigh in on Dr. Fauci's warnings about a new COVID variant.
0: And Supreme Court Justice Clarence Thomas has been hospitalized with flu-like symptoms and will miss some oral arguments this week. Thomas has been in a DC area hospital since Friday and is expected to be released in the coming days. He's receiving an IV drip of antibiotics. The news of Thomas's hospitalization comes amid scrutiny of his wife Ginny Thomas, who attended to stop the steel rally that preceded the January 6th riot.
1: Yeah, that was uh, there was some reporting on that. I think the Free Beacon, the Washington Free Beacon, which is a right-of-center publication, actually had that first. Ginny yeah. Thomas, a longtime uh, conservative activist. I know there have been concerns from progressives that is it a conflict of interest that she does all this, you know, kind of like tea, it was Tea Party activism ten years ago and and uh, stuff like that. She did. Uh, I, I believe she kind of apologized to. Uh, maybe to, to Thomas's former clerks that are on some emailing list, mm-hmm. is yes. saying that you know she felt bad that her her um, kind of over the top advocacy for Trump had uh, put them in a difficult uh, position. So
0: I don't know. Right, tone it down a little bit. She's saying sorry, <laughs> <Tone it down. laughs> sorry to get caught. Yeah, in other words. But yes, she's she's a, she's a gadfly of a right wing activist. She's she's everywhere. She's she's supportive of all of these different groups, and she's and she's also kind of. An avatar for the way that the right has developed over the last ten years. You know, she's go, as as it's gone from tea, you know, from kind of conservative activist, Goldwater-style stuff, into Tea Party ism, and then Tea Party ism into Trumpism. She has drifted the the entire way. So no surprise that she's at a, a stop the steal yeah. rally. Yeah, yeah, but. It, yeah, I, it, it is obviously a conflict of interest, but also it's kind of a confluence of interest. Like, right. What, is Thomas's mind being changed by any of this? Right. Probably. I, don't like, I can't imagine. That he's that not, his is. vote's not exactly up for grabs on many of these questions. Right. Although he is, he is kind of a wild card here and there.
1: He's interesting. Very interesting right. thinker. Yeah.
0: But very rarely on a 5. And we
1: looked up, So we looked up his age. Uh, what did he say was?
0: 73 years old. Yeah. Uh, and he's getting, like I said, he's getting an IV drip. And he's the
1: second oldest Supreme Court uh, justice, I believe, after Breyer. Um, so, but uh, yeah, he's he's in he's been in good health generally, as far as I can tell. And uh, yeah, it's hope 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 he right. speedy recovery. He's, obviously,
0: right. he's got right. And wh- whatever the infection is, there the, you know when, whenever you're getting the IV antibiotics, like that's that's a full blast. Yeah, and so he should know you know whether he's turning the corner soon. Yeah, and the, the, they're saying he should be out in a day or two. So. Yeah. They, that, that suggests that, he, that the antibiotics did what they're supposed to do. So we won't, we won't have another crisis uh, Supreme Court right. confirmation type thing. Another, another moment for President Manchin to shine. <laughs> right. So t- today marks 25 days since Russia invaded Ukraine, and Ukraine has refused Moscow's ultimatum for the surrender of Mariupol, asking for a humanitarian corridor to be established as soon as possible expected to open east and west of Mariupol at 10 a.m. Moscow time today. The Southport city has suffered some of the heaviest bombardments since the invasion began. President Zelensky reportedly told CNN that a failure to end the war by negotiation could lead to World War III and is hoping this week's NATO summit in Brussels will provide him with even more support. Meanwhile, Zelensky has criticized Israel's refusal to send military aid, saying, quote, you can mediate between countries but not between good and evil.
1: President Biden will be traveling to Poland during his European trip this week to discuss Ukraine with NATO and its allies. Now, this comes as U.S. intelligence implies that Russia is backed into a corner. Defense Secretary Lloyd Austin told CBS that Russia's military has stalled in Ukraine after sustaining heavy casualties. CBS then pressed Austin on what it would take for the U.S. to intervene. Let's watch. Would using a weapon of mass destruction like this change the U.S. calculus? Is there a level of catastrophe here where the United States could not sit
2: on the sidelines? I I think if a chemical or biological weapon was used, you'd see a a significant reaction from not only the United States, but also the global community. And again, I don't want to speculate about... uh, what exactly would, would change our calculation. I think I think uh, you know, engaging in hypotheticals is probably not helpful
0: here either. Hmm. That's been the entire theme of the media questioning. Right. <laughs> like trying to come up with hypotheticals that would then get the U.S. to say, okay, then we would give you your war. Right. Then they, they will w- do it. They want to
1: trick... The government into thinking we've already crossed that right. threshold. Uh-huh!
0: Aha! <laughs> you dr- said. <laughs> if they draw red lines everywhere, eventually right. Some, right. somebody will step over one. But right. Zelensky's point is the key one that if this doesn't end via negotiation and doesn't end fairly soon, the risks of World War 3 are serious.
1: Every day is another risk of World War III.
0: Which, which means. Of uh, someone yeah. shooting
1: the wrong thing. Yeah. Something exactly. going over, some missile accidentally hitting Poland or something, and then there you go
0: and that and that makes the value of getting to a negotiated yeah. end that much higher and Be, and you got to take risks to get there yeah
1: because it look it is true i there there is some red line I, I it's frustrating that the media keeps trying to to draw it in such a way that we've already put our toes over it but look right. there is a red line we cannot or i i don't believe we can just tolerate endless infinite aggression from russia before we need to do right. something no right. we don't want to do it but but it's on them. They have done this. We are. We at some point we have to react and we have to defend countries we pledge to defend, and we can't like just let Russia grab territory left and right. So there will there would come a point, and we want to avoid that. And we wish they hadn't done this to put us in this situation. We want to avoid it. We want to negotiate. We want to. We want a peace deal, and absolutely Zelensky needs to be empowered to do that. But 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 also i we don't i don't want them to think no we'll just never do anything right. because that gives them any, any every incentive to keep going
0: and there's reporting now that because they failed to knock out the ukrainian government quickly and win as quickly as that they had been yeah. expecting to that they're now moving on to this plan b this is what the us intelligence community is telling the us media and that involves kind of locking down the different parts of the country that they have been wanting to claim to begin with and then you know, further enabling them to lock down their claim on Crimea, which is a foregone conclusion. Like right. that's that's going to be part of whatever deal, if if a deal does end this, it's going to be part of it. And so, the what next is not clear though. Do they? Is it just a low-grade occupation and nasty kind of war of attrition for years? Yeah. Like the United States might be okay with that. Ukra- the Ukrainians, I don't think, would be okay with that.
1: But they're not yeah. going to give up. They're going right. to keep. That's what they're going to have, it's, unless
0: they get to Unless some Putin
1: realizes, yeah. like that's like there is no.
0: Unless the bottom the permanent falls occupation
1: out. Right. is going to is going right. to involve long term guerrilla warfare. It's,
0: yeah. it's going to be miserable. And that's where China comes in because right. if the bottom falls out of the Russian economy, then you can't sustain that, right? Either economically or politically.
1: So on Friday, I interviewed um, this uh, former NATO commander, uh, James Jones, mm-hmm. um, and he and I asked him, you know, evaluate. He's actually a military guy, so I asked him, evaluate has the has the Russian military performed as badly as you know some of the kind of pro-Ukrainian propaganda in the media is making it sound? He said, yeah, he really thought they had, yeah. and uh, he he agreed that is my theory is, you know, Putin is not is neither stupid and suicidal or a. Uh, Super genius. She's just a political leader like anyone else who can make good decisions, right. smart decisions, and also miscalculate. And his calculation was the Zelensky government would collapse, and then there would be a more pro-Russian government, the same way the Afghanistan government collapsed. This is, that's not an it, unreasonable calculation. That's what he expected. Didn't yeah. happen. So it was just a miscalculation, right. and, and he thought
0: that was likely too. And also, people forget that we're not the only country that has military-industrial-complex corruption. At, at the heart right. of our absolutely operations, absolutely, and so why why would we be? <laughs> like yeah. we're we're not we're not uniquely uh, corrupt. Like every, every every country is corrupt on some level, and people talk about the way that Putin modernized the military up until you know starting in the two thousands up up through twenty twelve. But then in twenty twelve, the reformer was thrown out by their military industrial complex because right. his reform efforts were were crimping the profits that those oligarchs were enjoying and and funneling out
1: it could still be the case that the the putin government is is far more competent and less corrupt than like the middle soviet period while still well that's not a very high benchmark (laughs) to clear like like literal looting taking place at all levels of Mm -hmm. of government is was the soviet experience so yeah
0: and so uh, yeah
1: Yeah, but we want want to also mention President Zelensky has suspended 11 political parties in his country that had ties to Russia, the largest of which holds 44 out of 450 seats in the country's parliament. In addition, he signed a decree that combines nationwide TV channels into just one platform saying, quote, it is important that the country has a unified information policy. That's some wary wary stuff. How's
0: how's the libertarian in you feeling about those? Yeah, not good.
1: Not happy about that. Uh, Obviously that, you know, the uh, because of all the thirsting over Zelensky that we talked about with mm-hmm. Katie last week, it is now time for uh, for Zelensky to to take that great like liberal trust and almost lust for him mm-hmm. in the media and just utterly betray it by becoming very illiberal. <laughs> so you have you have to be. I mean, it's it's very concerning whenever you're banning political parties and centralizing control of the media, and these are actually things we don't like about Putin. So.
0: This is, Maybe you don't and, do that. And this is this is a this is what one of the things that makes war such hell is that these uh, yeah. you know that that s- central authorities take these powers themselves and in some cases need to. I'm not saying they need to here, but all he would have to do if he got complaints would be like look what look what Abraham Lincoln did during habeas the habeas corpus. War.
1: Look what yeah. uh, FDR did. Yeah, long history Just, of people who are still lionized today as heroes and good standing among liberals, and look what they did. No. wars,
0: yeah. yeah, the victors write those stories. Yeah. but So we'll tell you uh, what's on our radars up next. Stick around.
1: <music> Robbie, what's on your radar? So the New York Times published an unexpected but terrific, frankly, editorial on Friday that takes note of America's free speech problem and points to both right-wing legislation and cancel culture, enforced by an uncompromising strain of progressivism as culprits. For all the tolerance and enlightenment that modern society claims, Americans are losing hold of a fundamental right as citizens of a free country, the right to speak their minds and voice their opinions in public without fear of being shamed or shunned, wrote the Times. The editorial includes a predictable and mostly well-deserved condemnation of conservative attempts to legislate away uncomfortable discussions about sex and race in schools. But it stands out for directly attacking the left's censorship impulse. Quote, many on the left refuse to acknowledge that cancel culture exists at all, believing that those who complain about it are offering cover for bigots to peddle hate speech, wrote the Times. Many on the right, for all their braying about cancel culture, have embraced an even more extreme version of censoriousness as a bulwark against a rapidly changing society with laws that would ban books, stifle teachers, and discourage open discussion in classrooms. So let me just read you two more key paragraphs from this editorial, which, as I said, was really good. The full-throated defense of free speech was once a liberal idea. Many of the legal victories that expanded the realm of permissible speech in the United States came in defense of liberal speakers against the power of the government. A ruling that students couldn't be forced to recite the Pledge of Allegiance. A ruling protecting the rights of students to demonstrate against the Vietnam War. A ruling allowing the burning of the American flag. And yet, many progressives appear to have lost faith in that principle. This was a source of great frustration for one of those who responded to our poll, Emily Leonard, a 93-year-old from Hartford, Connecticut, who described herself as a liberal, but she said she was alarmed about reports of speakers getting shouted down on college campuses. We need to hear what people think, even though we disagree with them. It is the basis of our democracy, and it's absolutely essential to a continuing democracy. Ms. Leonard said, liberals as I am, a little to the left of Lenin, I think these kids in this whole cancel culture and so-called woke is doing us so much harm. They're undermining the Constitution. That's what it comes down to. So look, in truth, the editorial reads like it could have been written by, well, me. <laughs> in fact, Rolling Stone editor Noah Shockman cited it as evidence that I now own the New York Times editorial board. Alas, if only that were true. How much fun could I have? In fact, the opinion pages of the Times—they well—they host a diversity of viewpoints, a variety. Of course, they do. And just last week, they pay, the pub. Bleh, sorry, can I do that again? Yeah. Yep.
0: It could probably go a little faster. It
1: could move a little faster.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Prompt to roll up a little bit. Not sure. Oh, can you? Yeah, can you roll it a little bit?
3: Um.
1: Yeah. Great. Yep, we're good to go.
3: Hang on one second, and and ask prompt. Yeah, there you go. And give me a three, two, one, and go for it.
1: Three, two, one. Just last week, the paper published a guest essay by Emma Camp, a University of Virginia student, about the culture of self-censorship she encountered on campus. Camp's piece generated a massive backlash on social media from the very sort of cancel culture-denying liberals The Times is criticizing in its editorial. As Politico's John Harris put it, the torrent of mockery that greeted her on Twitter made the case about the hazards of saying something unpopular more persuasively than she could have imagined. We had Camp on Rising the week before last, so go and check that out if you missed it. Now, as with Camp's op-ed, the Times editorial has caused some liberals' heads to explode. Here's an incomplete sampling. Liberal writer Adam Davidson, quote, If I still worked at the New York Times, I would seriously think about quitting today. Liberal professor Jeff Jarvis, This is appalling. The both side of the New York Times comes out in full force from its editorial board as it equates the left criticizing hate and the right burning books. Pure moral panic. Liberal Daily Beast columnist Wajahat Ali retweeted retweet if you want the New York Times to add more columnists who write about the rise of fascism instead of adding more who always complain about cancel culture. Progressive historian Kevin Cruz, if the New York Times doesn't want people being shamed or shunned for bad opinions, they can help by no longer running columns by Dowd, Brooks and Stevens. Those latter two are conservative writers, I guess Cruz's version of an improved New York Times. It's one that includes fewer perspectives. How surprising. So liberals, at least on Twitter, may have actually been angrier about the editorial than Camp's op-ed. An op-ed reflects only the views of the writer, whereas a staff editorial speaks with the authority of the entire paper. Of course, there's nothing particularly odd about the New York Times taking the ideological position that free speech is of vital importance to American society and democracy, that the legal protections of the First Amendment and a broader culture of social tolerance are both desirable norms, and that social progress is generally well served by maximally permitting free and open discourse. In fact, this was the default position of most liberal-minded writers, thinkers, and publications until recently. Self-described progressives who react with apoplectic fury every time the New York Times counsels against total abandonment of Enlightenment principles, they're actually the odd ones out. By now, it should be impossible to ignore the ill effects of free speech hostility. What appeared to begin on elite college campuses has spread to broader society and is agitating for a world where the act of dissenting from progressive orthodoxy is treated as violence and thus can be met with force. Indeed, college campuses continue to provide some of the most palpable examples of this phenomenon. Earlier this, earlier this month, Yale Law School students shouted down a conservative speaker and a liberal one, as well as the school's own officials, in order to prevent a discussion about a recent Supreme Court case. I talked about it on my radar a few days ago, but for a refresher, here's the video footage. you well, know, Yale has a policy
3: of freedom of speech. We are not
4: good.
1: David Latt, an attorney, legal commentator, and Yale graduate described the incident as actually much worse than what we see in the video, according to Latt. Even classes in different parts of the building on different floors were actually disrupted by the protesters on account of how loud they were. All because a social conservative dared to try to speak on campus. So look, this has gone way too far. The student activist philosophy is by now familiar to everyone who has paid attention to higher education for the past decade, speech that perturbs progressives on their allies or their allies is illegitimate and should be prevented. This philosophy must be countered by everyone who claims to hold liberal values. I, for one, am relieved to know that the gray lady still has some fight left in her. So did you see this editorial on Friday and the reaction on Twitter?
0: I, I saw the reaction on Twitter, and the only reason I finally read it is because I saw that you were doing your. Oh, good. How, how your did you radar, feel about it? radar on this. Yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a good piece. I would have, I would have tweaked the. I, I felt like it was a little overly, unnecessarily broad in their first sentence, mm-hmm. where they said, "People are sad that they've lost the the their free speech rights to speak in public without ever being shamed." It's like nobody thinks that that is what right. the. Standard should be like you shouldn't just be thrown around the n word and not be shamed about it right for instance like every like 99.99% of people in surveys would agree right. with that point so everybody agrees that there's some some shaming is necessary to have a civilization like that's that's how we make societies the real the question is you know where is that line and and the reason i didn't read the editorial despite all of the 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 Twitter outrage about it is because it it doesn't feel like anybody is even approaching this question and and asking where that line ought to be or really getting, everybody's just kind of going back and forth with with talking points on these. Like maybe if we just split out the uh, shouting down people in classrooms and at events, maybe they they could talk about that Mm -hmm. because people say, well, it's my right to shame you. Okay, you obviously didn't like when the New York Times responded to you. You don't like being shamed for your shame, <laughs> but it's their right to shame you for your, your shame. So what if we just split out? Okay, how about we say it's not illegal to just ha- have the entire audience just screaming at somebody the entire time, but let's let's all agree that it's not cool. Yeah. Can we start there?
1: Well, it does. It, in in that uh Instance, it does not violate the law. Violates the campus's policies, right. the perfectly reasonable policies that, like, look, they want to. Other people want to listen to the speaker, and you're going to come in and just make that impossible. Like, it's a university. People pay how much ever money they pay to go to Yale. This very privileged going educational debt for the rest experience, of your life. Yeah. so they can hear interesting people speak. And your philosophy is no.
0: I'm just <laughs> going to yell to prevent that. And, and so really dumb. Separating that out, again, to the political question, their polling that they included in that was very interesting yeah, and that Democrats should pay attention to. And it found that Democrats actually are on the opposite side of Democrats. In other words, Democratic voters are on the opposite side of Democratic leaders or kind of Democratic elites on this question. Like, they do believe that cancel culture is a real thing. They have... They have held their tongue and not said something, uh, not asked some good faith question that they had, uh, because they were afraid of getting shamed, and and you know, particularly pronounced among women, which is very interesting in that in that poll, and it's beca- it, it's going to become a political an increasing right. political problem. It already is a problem; but it'll become an increasingly one because every time that one of these, kid, you know, a group of kids goes and shouts somebody down, uh, it's. Everybody there is going to be filming it and posting it. And then Republicans are going to make sure that everybody sees it and says, like, this is the, this is the Democratic Party, even though probably most of them think the Democratic Party is a bunch of corporate sellouts. <laughs> but they, they're lumped in with the Democratic Party. And it's going to drag them down. It's going to be, you know, pe- because people don't feel like the government is actually doing much to improve their lives. So, therefore, they're going to vote on things like, you know, own, owning their enemies or ways that they can just be less annoyed yeah.
1: they've lost the the framing of these kinds of issues right republicans have won right People don't like cancel culture they don't like and they associate when, with democrats
0: and they associate with Democrats. fair fair or not yeah that's that's what the world is now yeah so, so but yes but also just to, do you have to go to an event and just shout the whole time i don't i just they always why do. they always do it's not, it's not helping. Not helping. It's not helping your cause. Not helping.
1: But anyway, I'm looking forward to your radar coming up next. What's on your radar, Ryan?
0: If you spend much time keeping up with the vaccine-skeptical corners of the internet, you've probably come across a claim that's been getting extraordinary traction lately. Before I tell you what that claim is, a quick word for our YouTube overlords and anybody else who lacks common sense. The claims I'm about to share with you are false. They are baseless. They are wrong. Choose your description, and I'll demonstrate fairly easily to you why they're wrong. But in order to do that, I'm going to have to tell you what those claims are. So consider this a trigger warning. If you're not able to hear a claim without instantly believing it, even when presented with evidence that it's wrong, you should click out of this video and go watch the next one. Okay, so for everybody who's still here, the claim started with an article in a local Indiana paper reporting that Scott Davison, CEO of a $100 billion insurance company ironically called One America, had recently said that excess deaths are up 40%. It's called the Center Square, and it's funded by the Franklin News Foundation, and it tries to fill the gap created by the collapse of local news. The article was then tweeted out by Edward Dowd, a former finance professional for BlackRock who's grown a following in the vaccine-skeptical world. The actuaries are on to it, he said, arguing that this was proof that the vaccine was killing people in huge numbers. Dowd tells his followers, quote, I can't emphasize how big of a deal this is. Actuaries just assess risk with math. They will be pushing the costs onto employers. Don't trust bears. while well, the actuaries trust math so they don't care what you think, unquote. From there, Zero Hedge, which many of you are no doubt familiar with, turned his tweet into an article and it blew up on the right. Doctors Robert Malone and Peter McCullough, the vaccine skeptic doctors gave it an additional boost. Don't take it from me, here's Dowd explaining how the local news to Viral Pipeline worked even after the company had tried to explain the remarks were being mischaracterized.
4: That insurance company then tried to retract that. And so where do we stand with that?
0: So that was One America.
3: I discovered that and I got it on Zero Hedge. I gave it to Dr. Malone and Steve Kirsch and they blew it up and we got, you know, they had more Influenced than me, and they were able to boost the signal. Zero Hedge boosted it for me.
0: If we're going to be generous, we could say that everybody who championed this claim didn't watch the full video of the CEO's remarks. If we're not going to be generous, we'd say they're lying to you. So let's look at what else the CEO said. Asked by a panelist to elaborate, he explained it this way.
3: Yeah, and just by under, I'm not suggesting that the COVID deaths are uh, undercounted, uh, uh, but the pandemic-related deaths indicate much larger, uh, uh, death rates among working age people than simply COVID on the death certificate, uh, would imply. Mm-hmm. So it is the, what we're seeing, um, is that people get COVID, they kind of recover, and then they, they die from a, 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 um, uh, some sort of disease mechanism that was impacted by the fact that they got COVID in the first place. And so we're seeing this, this, uh, uh, kind of massive number of deaths, and it's across the industry. This is not just one American numbers. This is consistent across every carrier in every state that does business in this industry. So yes, we would we would say that the pandemic-related deaths are, are much larger than what you're seeing in the news as the official specific COVID deaths, where, where COVID was this, the proximate cause of death on the death certificate. Um, So it's a much, much larger number than that. Again, 40 40 to 46% up just in, in the third quarter alone from the Delta wave.
0: So in other words, if you have some sort of comorbidity and you get COVID and survive, what life insurance companies are seeing is that a lot of those people do in fact, quote unquote, recover from COVID, but they die of that underlying disease not long after that's not recorded as a COVID death, and it, and it shouldn't be, but these insurance companies are trying to figure out why that person died, and they're looking at COVID as a causal factor. So let's take another look at that, Pete, uh, at that Dr. McCullough tweet, and note this part, quote, there is only one brand new potentially fatal exposure that shaded in the second half of 2021. Dr. McCullough thinks his followers are idiots. Can anybody think of a new potentially fatal exposure that shaded in the second half of 2021 other than the vaccine? Yes, of course you win, the Delta variant. And that's exactly what the CEO chalked it up to explicitly. Here's Davison again.
3: 40 40 to 46% up just in, in the third quarter alone from the Delta wave.
0: From the Delta wave, his exact words. So either McCullough doesn't care enough about getting his facts right, that he didn't even watch the talk, or McCullough watched it and deliberately lied. I'm not actually sure which is worse. Except in this case, we have pretty strong evidence he straight up lied because somebody replied to him on Twitter with a key clip of the video showing that he was mischaracterizing what the insurance executive said. And McCullough's response was not to apologize and take it down, but instead he blocked the guy. The user sent me this screenshot. So yes... When McCullough was presented with evidence that his claim was 180 degrees wrong, he responded by suppressing that evidence. This is your anti-censorship king? If that's not infuriating enough, it gets worse. McCullough and his allies have been using the man's remarks to spread the lie that insurance company actuaries are starting to realize that getting vaccinated increases your risk of dying and are going to price that into the cost of insurance. That's not just wrong, again, it's 180 degrees opposite of what he said. Here's Davison.
3: And for One America, uh, we expect the costs of this are gonna be well over $100 million, and this is our smallest business. So it's having a huge impact on that. that those costs will, will trickle towards other employers over time because uh, premiums are starting to go up, so it will cost more for employers And most of us in the industry are starting to target and to add uh, premium loads onto uh, employers that are based in counties that have low vaccination rates. It's just typically what we would do for underwriting when you have a risk factor like that.
0: So the reason this story caught fire on the right is because insurance actuaries are indeed cold-blooded creatures. They invest heavily in figuring out what factors are more likely to cause you health problems so they can price that in. They don't care if you smoke or drink every night because they have some moral objection to that behavior. They want to know because smoking might kill you. And if you smoke, then you have to pay more for your life insurance. Here's Dowd making that exact point.
3: What you need to understand about insurance companies, they make their money giving whole life policies because they can predict death rates, which are pretty steady. You know the, the death rates all around the globe are, are not fluctuating wildly. They just don't.
0: What's interesting is that nine hours after Dowd first posted that article, he finally shared a clip of the CEO speaking, and he accurately noted that the insurance company believed the opposite of what he had been claiming they believed. So deep in his thread, he linked to the CEO remarks and included this video. So within nine hours of the story going viral on the right, Dowd, the guy who kicked it off, realized he had mischaracterized it and instead of correcting, just said, well, the insurance company is wrong, which is the same thing this crowd has been saying the entire time. So the anti-vax crowd often refers to itself as on a journey for truth. And when they found something that confirms their prior belief about the vaccine, they share it as widely as possible. If they come across evidence that cuts the other way, They find a way to explain that it's corrupt or just wrong. That's not a hunt for truth. And what's also revealing about this moment is the way in which people like McCullough play the same song, but play it in a different tune depending on whether they're talking to a broad audience or to a more narrow group where they can really let it rip. Notice that in his tweet, McCullough didn't specifically say that the vaccine was killing people. Instead, he left it as innuendo saying that there was only one thing that could have caused this, knowing everybody would know what he meant. Behind the closed doors of places like Infowars, though, that's the Alex Jones Conspiracy Fest, McCullough is much less careful. Here's how he phrased things on that show.
3: The vaccine is far worse than the respiratory illness.
0: So I understand that in a world gone mad like it has, it's hard to know who to trust and probably a mistake to put all of your trust in one person or one network. But if people actively lie to you and you continue to believe them in spite of learning that, then at some point you have nobody to blame but yourself. So to repeat, the insurance company found in its research that COVID was actually responsible for more deaths than were being reported by looking case by case to figure out what was going on. According to their analysis, more vaccination would mean fewer deaths. The entire ecosystem of the anti-vax world told you that that same insurance company had found the exact opposite. That was a lie. And what's interesting is that both the AP and, I think it was PolitiFact or somebody else, did little tiny fact checks of this very early when when Malone and Zero Hedge were pushing it. And, And they said this isn't true. Wasn't even a speed bump. And and I read their fact checks, and their fact checks are kind of annoying in the sense they're like, they just quote like an expert saying it's not true. Which, if if you're skeptical of the experts already, you're not going to believe those experts. I think what you have to do is you have to go to the root of where they got this. It's like, Dowd got it from the insurance company. Here's what the insurance company actually said. So you can believe or not believe the insurance company, but his source is the insurance company. So without that source, he has nothing. He's just back to where he was before, a guy just saying things.
1: Yeah, look, this is a problem with a certain kind of person who is rightly distrustful of the mainstream media, as I am, as you often are, because they do get things wrong. The New York Times gets things wrong. The Washington Post gets things wrong. The AP gets things wrong. Um, you, You should be wary, always. I've been very critical of their COVID coverage. But- because just because mainstream institutions are flawed doesn't mean that every crazy person who is anti mainstream right. institutions is right about everything often there are kernels of truth to things they're saying just as there are there are a lot of truths to what the mainstream institutions are saying but they have biases and get things wrong but you can't it is just as you said it's it's so strange to hear people say you know don't you know be skeptical. You know, right. uh, challenge everything. You know, expand your horizon. And say, oh, yeah, whatever this crank doctor says on Alex Jones must be completely correct. Right. Like, yeah. No, no. You, you, you apply that same skepticism to people making dramatic claims on that side. Right. You know?
0: Right. Because, and, and, and it made me think of the, that famous, I don't know if it's apocryphal, quote from Ben Franklin where he emerges from the Constitutional Convention. What did you guys create? A republic, if you can keep it, and you know the the First Amendment and yeah, uh, you know, and the republic that we have built is as much a cultural product and a, a and protected by our cultural values as it is by the paper on which the Constitution is written. Like there is there is a there are duties and responsibilities that people have, and. For people like Malone and McCullough to be abusing people's lack of trust with the mainstream media just further undermines. And you know, we, we have been consistently 100% anti-censorship on this and, and, and anti the way that big tech has been handling this situation. But when you have people like McCullough and Malone abusing that system, right. that trust, what they're doing is they're creating more fodder for the enemies of free speech who are going to point to this and say, look, these people are just liars. Like they're just lying to people who are gullible. And so therefore, we need to crack down on them. That doesn't mean that those calls to you know, censor them and crack down are correct. But you do have to recognize that you're feeding into it. And that's why I say you, we've built a republic if you can keep it. It's everybody's responsibility to help keep it.
1: I agree. But if people who call for them to be censored and then actually censor them are, are in some ways feeding into, the, they are. feeding into their their martyrdom, their victimhood yep. complex. And they're making it seem to other people like, oh, the, the truth is being kept from me. Mm-hmm. They know the truth and it's being kept from me. And uh, That's and, what and, sucks and, about yeah, this so much because that in,
0: it incentivizes the people censoring yeah. to continue censoring. And it incentivizes... Right the Malones and McCullough's to continue being censored because then they right. become free speech martyrs. Right. There's no incentive to just get things right. Now
1: make up your own mind. Listen to what they have to say. You should be able to get that information and listen to what Ryan has to say about it. And, and go
0: listen to the whole thing. Go- Google sure. Indiana Chamber of Commerce, One America. Like, you can find the YouTube clip. I'll, even, I'll send it to the editors so we can put it in here. Go. It's like an hour, hour and a half or so. You can watch it yourself.
1: Well next up, Rebecca Azor and Rena Shaw will join us for the rising panel. Stick around. So last week we told you that the New York Times had confirmed the authenticity of the Hunter Biden laptop. According to the Times, said certain emails between Hunter and his business partner being probed, quote, appear to have come from a laptop abandoned by Mr. Biden in a Delaware repair shop. The email and others in the cachet were authenticated by people familiar with them and with the investigation. In response to the news, Republicans are now floating another investigation into Hunter's travel records if they regain control of Congress. Peter Schweitzer commented on the investigation and significance of the New York Times piece on Fox News. Let's watch that.
4: Is the FBI investigating Hunter Biden and could that happen while Joe Biden is president?
0: Yeah, in fact, I think this New York Times
3: piece, the fact that they got cooperation from Team Biden and probably from the Hunter Biden legal team is an indication to me they are extremely concerned that he is going to be indicted. This grand jury's been meeting since 2018. They were suspended during COVID because
0: of healthcare protocols. It's back up and running. And it's very clear that when it comes to the uh, the issues related to tax evasion and money laundering and the other issues wrapped up with it, they're extremely concerned that Hunter Biden's going to be indicted. And I think this article is an effort to frame that conversation in a way that could be the most favorable to them. So, another. Political journalist Rebecca Azor, an advisor for Renew Democracy Initiative, and former Republican strategist Rena Shah join us now to discuss. Welcome to you both. Thank you. And, Rena, why do you think that the Times confirming these emails is being treated as such a significant story, given the fact that? an entire book already came out confirming that these uh, were legitimate, and even before the election or or at least right around the election, it was not only clear that the emails were legitimate, but uh, if I recall Breitbart had gotten emails from another hunter associate and had gotten them you know directly from that person with access to the person's gmail inbox, which you know given free given freely that showed that some of these emails were You know, the same as the ones from Hunter. So it was clear that these were legitimate. What, you know, why is it all of a sudden, uh, if it's not in the New York Times, it's not news, is that what it is?
5: Well, putting the journalistic stuff aside for a moment and and how mainstream media or even smaller media outlets treat this story. I think the biggest thing to note here is that in September of 2020, it was Senator Ron Johnson and Chuck Grassley senators who who debunked this sort of in doing it in in doing a report and, and clearing Joe Biden of any wrongdoing. That was associated with his son Hunter Biden's foreign business dealings. I think that's really important to know. That's what's been lost in all this. This has been mm-hmm. sort of investigated before. If this new information that's sort of out. If you ask me, this is all reeking of political motivation, uh, largely because we, what we've got the midterms. Republicans could take back congressional power, and and suddenly they'll be able to have some really fun hearings. And Ron Johnson, the senator from Wisconsin, if he's reelected, he's excited, as, as you said in the media. He he's used the word juicy. I think uh, not only <laughs> is that really lame for a U.S. senator to be so excited about doing such gossipy stuff. And and by the way, let's also look at the senator's uh, connections to Russia as well. I mean, it's good. It's good to be skeptical. It's good to have elected leaders want to do some investigating. But was Hunter Biden ever a federal employee? was hunter biden what kind of uh, up to no good was he up to i don't really know and i frankly don't care at this point there are bigger problems in the world well
0: Mm -hmm. i mean he he flew on air force two with the vice president to china uh (laughs) yeah but he, he went there and his goal was to connect a potential chinese business partner with the vice president to get a photo op to get do we
5: really know that
0: yeah that, has that, that been that we
5: absolutely know. confirmed by there's, coming out of the president's mouth coming out of hunter biden's mouth this is all speculation
0: no I mean, there, this, this that is a that son, happened like
5: I mean, it happened but it's speculation there's pictures, but intention there's, was there's we emails, don't know the intention just like we didn't know the intention of kushner and his wife ivanka trump every time they were traveling with their father as federal government employees by the way who supposedly didn't take a salary or God knows what. The children of these elected (laughs) leaders, we are questioning too much at a time where I think the vast majority of us are fed up. I don't really care what the president's children do as long as they're not on the payroll of the taxpayer doing illegal things. Hunter Biden's never been on the payroll of the American taxpayer. That's just the reality of this. So we can speculate all we want. We can let the Republicans or even Democrats go down the road of investigating. But what's it really mean for the long-term, for our country? Are we going to throw Hunter Biden in jail? That's not good for democracy to jail the kids of presidents or vice presidents simply because they're like, hey, my dad's in a position of power. Joe Biden in September 2020 by two Republican senators Mm -hmm. was cleared of wrongdoing. I think that's important to focus on. What they rehash after if the Republicans take power in Congress, is gonna be a whole nother ballgame.
1: Well, look, I get that. I I don't, and in a vacuum, I don't really care what Hunter Biden's up to either. But you know, why this story matters is because of how it was treated, right? By the media, by the intelligence community, the the way you were demonized, stigmatized for not immediately dismissing it. Uh, you know, when it's being labeled uh, Russian disinformation, um, the story blew up on Twitter. This exchange between Trump and Biden back on the debate stage made the rounds on social media.
4: I asked them follow Excuse me. Please respond if and then this we're going to have follow If this is true
3: first. about Russia, Ukraine, China, other countries, Iraq, if this is true then he's a corrupt politician. Right. So don't give me the stuff about how you're this innocent baby. Joe, they're calling yeah, you simple. a corrupt politician. Nobody's take President Trump, I want
5: to stay hell. on the issue Excuse of me, race. We're talking look at about the, laptop the
4: issue. From hell. President Trump, Nobody. we're talking about race right now and I do want to stay on the issue of race. President Trump, you have disc- to
3: respond to that Please. because look, Very there quick. are 50 former national intelligence folks who said that what this he's accusing me of is a Russian plant. They have said that this is has all the four five former heads of the CIA. Both parties say what he's saying is a bunch of garbage. Nobody believes it except his and his good friend Rudy Giuliani. You mean the laptop is now another Russia, Russia, Russia hoax? That's exactly what. Is this where you're going? Exactly what this is where he's going. The laptop is Russia, Russia, Russia. Gentlemen,
5: I want to stay on the issue of
4: race. You have to be kidding. Here we go again with Russia. We're
1: going to continue on the issue of race. I, I can understand why the moderator wanted to stay on the issue of race, because Trump was totally right, as, as it turns out. Uh, the laptop, real. The New York Times has confirmed it. We already knew it was real. Uh, Biden was, and now Biden wasn't lying about having U.S. intelligence behind him. Yes, 50 intelligence officials headlining by James Clapper, John Brennan, Cetera circulated a statement peddling Russian disinformation amid the initial discovery of Hunter's laptop effectively helped bury the story in partnership. Uh, with big tech so you know Rebecca what do you think about all this because for me that's the story right they were wrong or they were lying or they were doing kind of political spin uh, the, the story ended up being true I now maybe it's implications for Joe Biden were oversold or overstated but it was not Russian disinformation and all those intelligence officials who said it was and all those media figures who insisted it was and wanted you to not even read it uh, wh- you know do, do they apologize Do they admit that are wrong what, what's your take
4: It's the same thing as Rena's in this case. I feel like, so what, right? Because back in September of 2020, you know, Joe Biden was cleared of all these things. And also, um, we got to keep the same energy, right? When Trump did a lot of things that were very questionable, relationships with Russia, you know, what he's doing with his kids, where the money was going, information that was left allegedly in Mar-a-Lago, top secret information that was just left out there, Right. We got to keep that same energy. They were not giving; these Republicans weren't giving it that much. Democrats try to push it. We it was headlining and news and all these kind of things. And but it, then it wasn't making mainstream media. It would be like in the media for a week. Then it would be pushed on to Donald Trump not um, being able to say uh, the Pledge of Allegiance. Like it's things like this, right? So if we're gonna, if this man was cleared in September 2020, and we're talking about Joe Biden, he rock he's, he's going around with this kid, right? His son, whatever his son does, it, it sucks. You know that he it's going to be tied to him, but his personal situation, who he's dating, what's on that computer, things like that. It, this is not, to me, the biggest news when it comes to Russia and America at this particular moment. We got Brittany Greiner, who is a, a basketball player for the WNBA, who was in the middle of a war zone in, in Russia, right? And I haven't heard any of these people Whoa. speak her name or, or say, hey, let's push to, to get her out of there. They're worried about this right here, and oh. this is very telling. It's it's, it's ridiculous to well, me. I, we can because, be
1: concerned about multiple things. We don't have to be, like, monomaniacal. We think, can only have I'm one story to talk about. about. I mean, thing. it's... It's but also
0: it's her, me, her family has asked people not to make a big stink of it and turn, it, turn that, her yeah. into a martyr because then if she but becomes it's not a political, her into
4: a martyr right. if we, you know, it's a, it's just bringing light to where she is what I think her. people are asking, her, people are asking I more, mean
0: her, people around her now the, the news media is not doesn't have to take orders from people's families but her family and people around her are saying please do not bring light onto this we do not so want what light I'm, on this
1: I mean the so New York Post said they had evidence that they that they had obtained These emails that showed that the the now the president's son was had all these kind of foreign entanglements who were, you you know he was a he was a dude they were leveraging him to get to his father as part of an influence campaign. I don't think there's any evidence that campaign was successful, but it's not it's not outrageous that we were going to look in at at look at it a little bit more, especially in the wake of. All of these people being totally wrong when they said, "No, this like this laptop doesn't even exist. This is Russian." It's, but it's
4: been it's been a minute since that news had came out, right? And here we are bringing yeah. it up. And, and there's so much other things to me that are really important. There are so many things that they've talked about with the last president that have been more telling. And and people just threw it under the rug. Well, we talk about saying, those for I, ad nauseum. Saying, are you are you, are you saying, cannot be claiming I'm there not, is not enough
1: coverage of I'm Trump's saying, scandals, no, right? Are,
4: like, what I'm saying is there is, but who cares? That's, this is what I'm telling you. It was the biggest things that were going into um, into the media about it, and nobody. there was nothing that really came of it. And what I'm saying is there's more important things to cover. I will also say I feel like this is one of those things for um, Republicans uh, to touch on so that they can justify um, you know, the fact that here, uh, it's a little sketchy that Joe Biden is still, like that one presidency, they want to bring that back again, they want to put everything out that they can to justify this, I actually look at it as they could have been holding on to dropping this news at some point, especially a year after Joe Biden's presidency, to show that he's still sketchy, and for us to forget, because I think even um, see this is back in September 2020 we want to bring it about, I think us continuously continuing to cover what happened on January 6th of 2021 is a little bit more, I think that's more or, um, uh, something that we should be doing more because it's Rebecca, those same people. We, you you we, cannot say we,
1: we covered January 6th exhaustively. <laughs> not, not, it's not, the not, most. I, it's yeah, just, CNN it's is the that, January 6th network. We are
4: still dealing with. I think it's that's more important than what's going on. I like I said, we got so many more things that we can be covering than because everything that's going, like that's um, uh, being said about uh. this with his son. I think that um, it's Everybody's saying oh it was a lie, there was a cover up. I mean.
0: Well, I mean, it was a cover up. And also he's yeah. he's still his son. Joe Biden is still the president. He, Hunter's he out is? there selling these NFT art pieces. We it's a, we got to know what this dude's up to. Oh, I think Ryan, it's a, you it's know, Melania is doing the same thing. She's
5: trying to. Sell yes, her
0: I'm not done with Jared and uh, Ivanka. Either. I know. I know I he's not. <laughs> you can you, so you got to hold this guy back. back. All right. Trying, we, we, uh, we, we really do. We do.
1: We thank you both. uh,
0: (laughs) We'll pick this up again. Absolutely. Yeah,
4: we got to. You know, we got to.
0: (laughs) And we will definitely pick that up again. Next on Rising, Deputy Opinion Editor at Newsweek by Unger Sargon joins us. Stick around for that. A new strain of COVID-19 has been confirmed. Over the weekend, Dr. Anthony Fauci warned that cases could go up, adding he's hoping the United States doesn't experience a surge. Well, as was said, it has a degree of transmission advantage over the original Omicron, uh, but not multifold advantage. So it's about 50 to 60 percent or so more transmissible, which means ultimately over time, it might take over as the dominant variant. And while information about the new BA2 strain is limited, the World Health Organization said it's, quote, more inherently transmissible than its original Omicron parent variant. With news of the
1: subvariant, there are concerns that relaxed COVID restrictions could be reversed. Last week, Dr. Fauci told CNN, quote, If in fact we do see a turnaround and a resurgence, we have to be able to pivot and go back to any degree of mitigation that is commensurate with what the situation is. He says that. I say no. Hell no. Absolutely not. Never. Uh, here to break this down is Bacha Ankar Sargan, deputy editor at Newsweek. Uh, are you? Uh, are you? Do you have your mask at the ready for when Dr. Fauci says uh, says we gotta we gotta put those on again? Uh, I do not. I will not. I won't do it. I won't do it. What about you? <laughs>
2: Listen, I mean, it's ridiculous at this point. We know that the lockdowns don't work. We know that the cloth masks don't work, right? We have data. We have scientists from Stanford telling us how little lockdowns help to save lives. We know that the one thing that can prevent severe illness is the vaccination, but that that's not really that great at preventing transmission. And yet we have Fauci showing up and giving the same line over and over telling us what we already know is just complete virtue signaling at this point. So I don't know. I feel like he's Gonna have a hard sell with the American people to to t- sort of drive that stuff once the, more.
1: The, the cloth mask not working well enough. Although better masks might work better, we have to make that disclaimer yeah. so that YouTube doesn't take down this video. Is literally <laughs> why I'm saying these
0: words so right and, now. So a, a, another disclaimer that I actually think is important <laughs> um, on that Johns Hopkins study, they didn't say that lockdowns don't work. What they and I, yeah, I think I think you've talked about this as well. What they said is that lockdown policies. Didn't didn't work because it turned out that people, whether they were mandated to or not, when the spread was at a significant level, they locked down on their own because they just didn't, they right. didn't want the virus. This is something that we've seen happen throughout. You know, it right. dates go to before there were governments when there, when a plague would come around, people would people would stay home.
1: That glorious time.
0: Yeah. The glorious time. <laughs> yes. Yeah, when there were just kings.
1: Uh, well, those are governments, too.
0: <laughs> And Iceland forward, had it yeah. right in the
1: medieval period, but I, I won't
0: bore you with that. Right. We, we got to do a segment on that at some point. But so it's not that lockdowns don't work; it's that you know that a lot of the laws or policies around lockdowns don't get people to lock down any more than they're already locking right. down. And which, which actually, a wisdom yeah. in
2: the crowd. Yes,
0: exactly. Which goes <laughs> to which goes to what's wrong with Fauci's approach because instead of relying on the wisdom of the crowd. He, really, he worked against it in a number of different ways, and now he wants to be able to pivot on a dime back to these public health restrictions, but he has lost a lot of credibility with a, a significant portion of, of the public, as uh, Robbie's reaction to his <laughs> just seeing him nope. um, tells you. So what, what, could, what could he have done to lean in more to the wisdom of the crowd rather than trying to kind of push the crowd?
2: I mean, nothing because he is representative of an arrogant elite that tries to tell a wise crowd what to do when actually what they're pushing are their own economic agendas. And we know that now from either even further polling that showed that very liberal Americans are different than liberal americans moderately liberal com- americans moderate americans and conservative americans of all stripes who are all much more similar in mm-hmm. how they view the remaining threat of COVID. so most americans now whether they're very conservative or just liberal that entire spectrum of 94 percent of americans believes, you know, only about 20%, you know, between, you know, 12 and 27%, that's kind of the the spectrum for people from very conservative to liberal, feel that COVID still poses a very big threat to their lives. Now, when it comes to very liberals, that number jumps to 47% who still think that COVID is a big threat to their lives. And we also know from Pew that people who call themselves very liberal or progressive tend to be, it is the whitest and the most highly educated of all of the Democratic subgroups What that means is that very educated, affluent people of privilege, white people of privilege are the ones who still feel aggrieved and threatened by COVID. And I think what's happened here is it's very Calvinist in nature. They took what was essentially a signifier of their economic privilege, their ability to stay home and to keep themselves far away from the threat. And they turned that into proof of their virtue, right? We stay home. We're the ones who are afraid of COVID, COVID zero. It's still a threat. I mean, can you imagine at this point, 47%. Still thinking it's a big threat to their lives. It's unbelievable, but this is about class. It's about socioeconomics, yeah. and that is the class that Fauci is preaching. The choir he is preaching to here.
1: Yeah, you're absolutely right. It's that, and it's also like the continuing faith. It's a it's a religious faith at this point that tinkering with the official the formal government policies is going to have some big difference in the face of these massively contagious strains like yeah okay well if, if we now bring back the masks for grocery stores or for planes but not trains and not like like the tinkering with it at this minute level is going to m- may have any difference whatsoever it's just so ridiculous it's there's no does anyone believe that like this thing is super contagious when it comes through bunch of people are gonna get it again. Re- Pretty much independent of any government policy, or even substantially independent of individual decisions even being made. If you're vaccinated, you're going to have a really easy time with it. Some people will have a worse bout than others. Some some people it will have a really bad bout, and that's that's sad. That's bad, but like it's just it's just going to happen at this point. It's that's like that's the way the world is going to be. And and pretending that that's not the case is is a kind of is a kind of of, of of faith among the Fauci set.
2: Yeah, and I think just, you know, one more point to add to that would be, because we know that the vaccines are less good at preventing transmission for these more, these very, very, very contagious later strains, Omicron, and now this latest one, it really becomes a question of personal liberties and personal choice, right? You know, you should make the choices that are right for you about how to prevent yourself from getting it. But the idea that somehow, you know, if you don't do all of these things, you're endangering the crowds more than you would be, you know, if you were not making these personal choices. I think that that, you know, that logic at this point is really moot. And it's so funny to see the people who are, you know, the most affluent, you know, highly educated of these liberal elites, who have essentially put their own economic, you know, agenda as this sort of moral virtue, you know, this their own sort of individualism, right, forcing the government, allowing the government, encouraging the government to force on other people what's good for them sitting there being like, stop being so individualist, right? Think about the crowd when like, we know at this point that that logic doesn't hold any warm.
0: I mean, I, I agree with a lot of what you're saying, but how do we think about and how do we incorporate the reality that in counties where, uh, you know, where actually they, they, they can correlate Trump and unvaccination vaccination rates, uh, you also have higher death rates. Like how, how do we incorporate that that consistent reality into our thinking about the situation? Because it's not as if there's nothing going on here whatsoever when it comes to you know different outcomes with the pandemic. Right. In totally. in co- in counties that have higher vaccination rates, the death toll is lower, and Completely. those those lives 100%. matter. Right. Yeah. That's
2: very important to point out. I think what's also important to point out is that the case number is not higher. So the death rate is higher, but actually right. the case rate is not higher. And so that comes back to my point about personal responsibility, individual choices. It is a shanda that those the people who have influence in those communities are not out there telling those people, "Get this vaccine, it will save your life because it will." The vaccine yes. 100% saves lives. But the idea is, you know, what what about in the places where people are vaccinated and they just don't want to mask anymore we know that the policies from liberal areas did not reduce case numbers so i 100 percent agree with you ryan but at this point i think it really does come down to personal choice and to not imposing these you know like you know like robbie said these 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 restrictions and tinkering with them when we know it does not slow the spread of cases when you're 100 percent right that the vaccine saves lives and everybody should get it yeah
1: and then that public health officials can continue you know to encourage that if there are People out there who are 50, 60, and older who are not yet vaccinated, yes, please, you should get vaccinated. Listen to the public health officials. That's an intervention that absolutely saves lives. The rest of it, I.
0: And, and to be clear, but we don't 100 doesn't mean 100. It's like hyperbole. Right. Like you, right. it's still possible that if you have comorbidities and you've right. been vaccinated, you can die. Right. And I, you didn't you didn't mean that, but I just wanted to you know, yeah. clear that up <laughs> yeah. for, for people. 100 has become you know slang for like super, right. right.
1: Uh, Bacha, thank you so much for joining us.
2: Thank you so much for having me.
1: And Kim will be back with us next. Stick around. (music) Kim, what's on
6: your radar? Well, this past Friday, the Wall Street Journal published an article titled, Ivermectin didn't reduce COVID-19 hospitalizations in largest trial to date. The article is being circulated widely with a lot of people who've been adamantly against ivermectin sharing the post accompanied with a gleeful, I told you so. One big problem right off the bat, none of us have read the study because the study isn't published yet. So we're going off of a newspaper article that summarizes the findings without the details. So it's a little early to be celebrating a win. There's still a possibility the study is never published or is published then quickly retracted when more people than the selected peers get to review it or that the scope is very narrow. When they say it doesn't work after looking at the actual data, it could be that it doesn't work on a specific group or after a certain period of time or of a certain dose. We don't know and we won't know until we can read the darn thing. But if the study ends up not passing muster, you'll never hear about it. No one ever reads the story updates, the retractions or even just the actual details. We're a headline gobbling society and all, of you, and all you will know from here on out is that the science is settled. Ivermectin doesn't work because you read it in a tweet. Now, we've seen this before. There was a massive study published by The Lancet that was later retracted, yet many reputable people still to this day cite that study. And before we dive into what we know and don't know about the study, I want to start off by saying, I don't know if ivermectin works against COVID. I don't claim it does or doesn't. What I know is most studies have been incredibly flawed no matter the outcome, whether they show benefit or detriment. An actual, legitimate, good-faith study with actual monetary resources has never really been conducted. Those with money don't want to spend it on a drug that is no longer under patent and can't bring in dollars, similar to vitamins. We rarely study vitamins or herbs for the treatment of various ailments because there isn't big money in vitamins or herbs this is a problem ideally our government steps in and studies these things for us but unfortunately they aren't given the resources to do this our own government has to rely on big pharma to conduct trials to approve drugs and treatments we should want this to change even the fda requires big pharma money to go over the data big pharma has submitted for drug approvals it's a massive conflict of interest and it shows us that our government is not a government for the people but a government for big corporations so yeah A lot of people aren't going to buy the demonizing of cheap drugs or vitamins and natural therapies for a variety of illnesses. Many people are, I believe rightfully, skeptical of big pharma and our media and politicians who receive big pharma money. When they say something doesn't work and we can see that something isn't going to make them any money, many of us think they're purposefully tanking the studies or didn't even conduct them in order to push another product for profit. Do you remember when cigarettes were touted as good for you because clinical trials told us so? Or what about sugar? In the 70s, numerous studies came out showing it couldn't make us fat. Now I'm willing to bet that in the future, don't get mad at me about this, but I bet it will come out that wine isn't so healthy after all. But here we are a nation becoming alcoholics all in an effort for good cardiovascular health because the studies told us so. So I think it's important to always scrutinize any study. Don't take it at face value. Always look for motivations and take that into consideration. Okay. What we know from the Wall Street Journal about the study is it was conducted in an area of Brazil on nearly 1,400 test subjects. Half of them were given ivermectin, the other half a placebo. Personally, 1,400 people with a little under 700 receiving ivermectin doesn't seem very large. That's my first thought. Secondly, The journal reports the subjects were given ivermectin sometime within the first eight days of testing positive and were given a course of the drug for three days. Afterwards, the scientists followed the patients for outcome differences between the ivermectin group and the placebo group. They say they saw no difference. Fair enough. I believe they aren't lying about that. However, from the few details we know, we can see it is already flawed never has any doctor who prescribes the drug prescribed it for only three days. It's only that short of a time if it's being prescribed as a prophylactic. The FLCCC, which is the most widely used resource for protocol, uses the drug until a person is recovered. Also, those scientists who believe it works, never use it alone. It's always in conjunction with at least zinc and often zinc with an antibiotic or a course of several vitamins. So I think it's fair to say that if there is to be a good faith study it should mimic the protocol used by the doctors who claim it works. That seems fair enough. What we need to settle, what we need to settle this are numerous large trials using the drug as prescribed by those prescribing it. Nothing more, nothing less. Several studies that show it works has been small or they've lacked proper study protocols because they didn't have ample funds. Studies that show it doesn't work have lacked proper protocols, protocols in, re, in regards to how the drug is administered. And often also lack ample funds because there's no money in ivermectin. And our government doesn't seem interested in studying anything that doesn't yield massive profits for big pharma. Now, what I find most disturbing is how many people are adamantly opposed to it working. This is a perfectly safe drug given out to billions of people regularly for various uses. It has an incredible safety profile. If it works for other things than its intended purpose of deworming people, then great. If it doesn't, fine. There's no need to get upset about it. Fully vaccinated people are getting COVID, some of them very seriously, and some with even the worst possible outcome. And I guarantee they would want the right to try anything because they've already tried everything else. So we have to stop demonizing on and on the flip side, worshiping certain science over others. All science should be fairly explored. So that's my beef with this particular study. I for one can't read it. I still don't know what it says. But again, I just think in all fairness, before we can say, see, there it is, it doesn't work, you've got you've to do a study and conduct it the way these doctors are prescribing it. That, to me, seems like step one. And if you're not willing to do that, then you're just lying to people or you're trying to lie to them by saying, see, I told you it doesn't work, I gave it to a person while they were hospitalized, and no doctor says to do that. So I don't know if it works or doesn't work. I would like to know. I think our government owes us that. I would also like to know if things like vitamin C and vitamin D work, quite frankly, and zinc. But why won't our government study that? Because they have to. And this is partly Republicans' fault. They don't want to give the FDA money. They don't want to give the government money for clinical trials. So the government has to rely on big pharma. That's a problem. We should want to change that. And then we've got bought-off politicians by big pharma. All of that should change. We're in the pocket of big pharma. We're in the pocket of big money interests. That should change. And maybe if it did, we would find out, like in Asia— that there are natural remedies, there are herbs, there are vitamins that work in conjunction with pharmaceuticals, but we don't know, because we're a sick, nearly dying nation of fat and over-prescribed people.
1: I don't, but I don't think it's a, well, so look, I agree with your analysis of this study, you know, the the three-day prescription is not really, that was silly to do it that way, because that's not, you're you're right, that that's not even what ivermectin advocates are saying. I, I don't think it's like—you're making it sound almost like it's a—I don't, I don't think Big Pharma really is, try, is out to demonize ivermectin. Ivermectin is being demonized. Are. No, they're being of demonized they for political—hear uh, me. I don't it's think It's being political. demonized for yeah. political reasons because it is associated with the Trump cause, so it's being demonized by the media and Democrats— for political reason. I don't think it's so much of like a financial conspiracy. I think it's pure team. It's one of the things that belongs to to team red. So team blue has to you're right is rooting right. for it to not work because it's a it's associated with team red. So I, I, I agree, agree with you that that's what's going on. But right. I think the demonization is political and tribal rather than because you know, oh, like yeah. Pfizer really wants ivermectin to not work or something. I don't think well, that's I- the case.
6: I agree with you that that is originally why people were like, oh, because these Trumpers are talking and really and ivermectin was just associated with hydroxychloroquine, which is then people were like, and they already didn't like hydroxychloroquine. I agree with you that that's how it started for sure. And a lot of people still view it that way. But I think that big money interests always capitalize on those sentiments. They grab onto them and they're like, oh, here's our opportunity to ensure that this never sees the light of day, so that instead, we're pushing people towards our therapies, which also are not showing the highest rate. But again, anything is better than nothing when you're in that situation. So if you've got a 30% effectiveness rate, which I think, which was at Prevere that showed that or Paxlovid, and it's like, look, that's still better than nothing, right? But still, uh, they're pushing down, you know, they're using sentiment and they're saying, and we see that all the time with a variety of issues, not just Big pharma, they're not the only culprits of this. Any, anybody in the big money interests are culprits of this.
0: And to, to your point about uh, funding, Edward Mills, who led this research and has been studying all of the different, you know, potential off-label therapies, is Canadian. Uh, he's a he's a researcher up, right. in, up in Canada, which has, you know, single payer, which, you know, takes these things seriously. And, you know, I, I think that he is sincerely and earnestly... You know, st- looking looking for success. Like I, I, don't think that he pushed into all of the, so studying all of these different therapies so that he could debunk them. That would be a huge waste of his time. He's a professor in Canada. Like if somebody like him wants to say, like, look, I'm the guy who did the research that showed that X works, and in fact, he is the he and his team are the ones that showed in fall of 2021 that fluvoxamine, which is it's an SSRI that's that's cheap, it's widely available. Uh, you know, showed serious efficacy against hospitalization and severe outcomes when it came to COVID. And it wasn't hydroxychloroquine and it wasn't ivermectin. And so, you know, nobody cared. There was no like victory lap, like, oh, look, we found a a cheap, effective, potentially effective uh, therapy. Let's let's explore this seriously. Everyone was so in their camps that it was like, oh, well, what? Show, show me some more data on ivermectin or hydroxychloroquine so that I can own. <laughs> the, this is right. interesting that this works, but yeah. I wasn't actually rooting for that or rooting against it. And I do think you're right that people who kind of root against ivermectin are also ghoulish in this situation. Like, you, you know, people who are skeptical of ivermectin should want studies to come out and prove them wrong and be like, wow, this actually does work. Yay. We're going to be able to save lives with it. Uh, And so from both sides, this, like, tribalism around it is is kind of gross.
6: Well, and to me, you know, the data is very clear. There is nothing better to help save your life than the vaccine for the people who are in those high-risk categories. That is, the the data is very clear on that. Could they improve and have second-generation, third-generation vaccine? I'm sure, right? Everything will always be improved. But at this juncture, uh, that is definitely what has helped people the most survive. But... In addition, right, there are people that wanted to, you know, I I do know people who were hospitalized who were boosted, and they would have loved, you know, they didn't want to take anything because they thought that's all, like, you know, magic talk. Uh, And and so, but maybe even even if it would have maybe improved them by 10%, you know, maybe a person would say, well, I'll take that 10% possibility, but... Yeah, you know, I definitely. Well, and also one thing I want to point out about the study, I do think there were actually quite a few funders of this study that make it somewhat questionable. People have been pointing that out. I believe the NIH might have been involved, which really should be. And they should be the government agency that studies all kinds of various therapies and treatments, including vitamins. Um, But there there are some conflicts that people are pointing out.
0: But right. But if NIH funding is. It makes it conflicted, then you can't. All have, studies. All studies. The right. study, a study is either going to come right. from the NIH or it's going to come from pharma. And right.
6: But that's the, the problem is what we need is for the NIH to decouple itself from big pharma in order for us to trust NIH and their research. So that's, that's the issue I think a lot of people are feeling. Right. Is-
0: Ph- pharma funds FDA, not NIH. But I understand you're right that there's that influence. There's influence. Um, but I'm- speaking of victory laps, Robbie and I get one on this one, because Edward Mills said it in that Wall Street Journal article, he said, for patients who had parasitic issues, COVID was effective at treating that and delivered them better outcomes Worms. (laughs) as a re- worms. <laughs> the, the worms. Oh, it was Brazil. my yeah. so It's vic- a victory lap for me and Robbie. Oh, which my yeah. theory. I, I just said is ghoulish. I'm, uh, uh, I'm, I'm still human.
1: I'm most. Uh, I'm most concerned about Kim's. Uh, it, the, you must be wrong about this. That people who drink a lot of wine are going to have health problems. That's Rudy really really takes that... a takes a blow to my health strategy. And after hanging out with you for a week, Kim, <laughs> yours too, as well.
3: But...
1: <laughs> <laughs> all right. we well, we'll know. Th- we'll be back with Rising after this.
6: Women's basketball star Brittany Griner was detained in February at a Moscow airport after Russian authorities found what they say was hash oil in her luggage. Griner plays off-season ball in Russia when she's not playing for the Phoenix Mercury. Griner hadn't been seen publicly in the weeks since her arrest. That
1: was until this new video of the athlete went viral over the weekend. According to CNN, Griner has seen her Russian legal team several times throughout her detention.
0: On January 23rd, the U.S. issued a travel advisory to the region as a result of the ongoing conflict between Russia and Ukraine. And so, uh, you know, it, it's int- this is an interesting situation because, okay, let's, let's, as- let's assume for the sake of argument that she had hash oil. Sure. As far as I'm concerned, nothing wrong with that. Right. Just hash oil.
1: It's the same, but, although the U.S. government, uh, I, don't know, I don't, don't know if hash oil... I, I, I literally don't know what level of uh, of controlled substance. I, I it, actually it think is that's. I
0: think it's schedule ske- I think it's schedule one because they lump it in with cannabis. Yeah. yeah. Um, even though, I mean, I, I'm pretty sure it's schedule one. We can. But my point I'll, being, I'll isn't Google a little that.
1: hypocritical for the U.S. to be U.S. people to be all yes. upset about her being treated this way when we routinely treat people yeah. her, as criminals? They they are criminals technically right. for for consuming uh, recreationally. Drugs that are not not dangerous. How dare they
0: enforce draconian drug laws? Right,
1: that's ridiculous. (laughs) And and to be clear, they shouldn't. Russia shouldn't be there, neither should we. But we have no moral leg to stand on here whatsoever.
6: We have how many people sitting in US prisons right now for marijuana crimes? Yes. I mean, we maybe. thousands, many, more? many thousands. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe maybe even more than that. And and many, many more than that who have served time right. because of marijuana crime. So it is illegal. Marijuana is illegal in Russia. We can. Do, I, I don't think marijuana should be illegal anywhere. I know both of you probably agree with that exact uh, sentiment as well. But in Russia, it is illegal. So if she was caught with drugs, look, you should never bring drugs into a foreign country. <laughs> I don't know why you know. that. So just you can get them when one. you get
0: there right don't don't right, take yeah. them on the
6: plane don't uh just yeah don't, don't have do them in it. your
1: suitcase that's yeah. how you. that's I mean, how you end up spending like the rest of your life in a colombian prison
0: or something
6: exactly what was that movie ryan you probably remember Mid- midnight, when we were midnight cowboy right no it was there was that movie and it was in thailand it was claire danes you remember that movie and it was mm. like so big when we were younger yeah. and she got caught in with drugs in thailand she was like Uh, You know, turned into a mule without her really realizing Mm -hmm. it from some drug trafficker. Anyway, she ended up with life in prison in Thailand and all. And and in Asia, by the way, the drug laws are much more strict do not bring drugs by, for example, into the Philippines. You could potentially (laughs) lose your life. So You know, so there are worse places where you could go with drugs, where you would have a much harsher sentence than just being detained. But even the United States is not one. Of, here you would get right. detained in certain areas. Like you go to my home state of Idaho, you're going to get arrested if you bring drugs in. So, um, yeah, and
0: so I, but, yeah. I I looked okay. it up. Hash it, hash and Hash Oil are Schedule 1, which is the highest uh, here in the United States. But, you know, the, her fa- her family and her friends, actually, they want this to be talked about as a typical drug case they don't want her case to become uh, so, something sensational as if she's been oh, kind right. of ki- kidnapped and detained because then if you become a political pawn then you could wind up th- then you're just at the whim of the of geopolitics and they, right. and they don't want that what they, what they want is okay let's let's deal with this through the legal system and let's get her out as as quickly as possible so and get her out in a way that doesn't require kind of putin or somebody to lose face and be like quote quote unquote releasing a hostage they don't want her right. to be thought of as yeah it, a could, be, it could be
6: worse much much worse right. and that's kind of you know senator tim Kaine sort of alluded to this where he said that mm-hmm. uh, russian president vladimir putin plans to use her as a negotiating chip and this was in an interview with Greta Van Striesen, Kane said, Kane said, "Quote: There's no doubt that her detention and this continuation of the imprisonment is all to try and make her a hostage and part of this chess game." To your point, Ryan, that's not really the best for her to be put in right. this position. That right. can be pretty bad.
0: And the media, the media, when it comes to all kidnappings, has a culture uh, that is built into it that. Usually re- abides by the requests of the of the families of those who've been kidnapped, and so that's how you'll have a case where, say, a New York Times journalist will be kidnapped for two years, and it and it right. never becomes public, right? Because they because there is there is a belief that you know working these out quietly between the uh, the countries is is an easier way to get it out, and so the family is kind of you, is relying on a version of that conventional wisdom here, and and hopefully for. Reiner's sake that works out but the media is pressured just to turn it into a it's funny because the media is being pressured the media is being pressured by a a social movement that is clearly not in contact with her family or or or, hasn't explored it and just wants to use her as a way to dunk on people and say oh why you know why don't you care about this woman who has been in prison in, in, in Russia it's like well no, it's no, like no, that. We red, actually care more, and, and we're not. It's like the red line you mentioned before.
1: Oh, is it red line if, if Russia's if, holding any of our people? Because aha, we're already no, over it. World no.
6: War Three. Here we go, baby. Yep, that's
4: well, Article and I, five. I wanted to, them.
6: I wanted to look this up to see who else had potentially been convicted of this. Like, is she really truly being a, polit- a political prisoner, or is this something, you know, or is d- drugs just illegal in Moscow? And it turns out that there was an Israeli woman who went into in 2019. And she was actually uh, sentenced to six, seven years in prison for having drugs on her when she went into Russia. There was also a New York based film. By the way, though, uh, Putin did pardon her ahead of his trip to Israel in 2020. So even though she was sentenced and everything, you know, he goes there and he says, "Okay, we'll let her out. Um, and then there was also a New York film based student who was charged with drug pose- possession in St. Petersburg in September of 2019. Not sure how oh, that person received uh, like a month or so in and det- in, in plus has to pay a big fine. So uh, I think much smaller amounts for the New York student versus the Israeli who went into Moscow. But, you know, this is something they do. This isn't just, oh, let's just trap the American and get her for drug now, charges.
0: Right. It's certainly possible that they... S- Searched her because she she was an American at this key, you know, know, well-known American in this key moment. And, you know, also possible they planted something like that. They could have done that. That that can't be ruled out. Like cops in the U.S. do that all the time. Yes. To
1: to, to fix our hypocrisy here, President Biden should immediately issue a blanket pardon to Mm. anyone who is currently in prison on a marijuana charge. Release all of them. All of them. And that we had to stick it to Russia.
0: There you go. That's, uh, yes, that's great fine. Own, idea. own Putin that way. Yeah, own, own, own Putin. Yeah. <laughs>
1: <laughs> that is exactly what should happen. All right, well, tomorrow on Rising, we'll continue, of course, to follow the latest Russia-Ukraine
0: news. Plus, Rachel Bovard and Jennifer Holtworth-Karp join us for our Rising panel.
6: And be sure to like, share, and subscribe so you never miss a video. And if you're more of a podcast fan, we're now available wh- wherever you listen to podcasts. So be sure, sure. to do that. Thanks Check say, out. Thanks for watching, guys. Yeah. See you soon. Bye. bye.